0: Hi everyone. I'm Jace. Welcome to another episode of Working Women's. We have met many amazing women's uh, while running creatives at work. We hope to share with you inspiring stories about how female entrepreneurs, executives, as well as freelancers from Singapore are taking charge and building successful businesses. And as podcaster ourselves, we are very excited today to speak to Jamie Ng, the founder and CEO of Matchcast, a podcasting advertising setup in Singapore. Her career as a CMO, which stands for a Chief Marketing Officer as well as an entrepreneur herself, she actually helped many companies um, scale and grow quickly across the B2B and B2C businesses in the US as well as in Singapore. So the companies that she has worked with include uh, Trade Advisor, of course, MySpace, not sure if y'all can still remember. MediaCorp, as well as RedMart, just to name a few. Hi, Jamie. Hi. <laughs> Hi, James. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to actually join us for today's session. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. <laughs> so, as women, we actually tend to juggle, you know, different multiple roles, you know, as we balance work and family responsibility. So, what is a typical day for you, right? Um, you know, um, I'm just wondering from two perspectives, right um because you have left the corporate world say for about four three three four years right to be two years worst. actually three years it's literally right. been about two years <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite interesting right do you see the change in you know your day right um from a normal corporate persons versus like a founder yourself now
1: Oh absolutely so I think as a corporate person you kind of the biggest thing was commute obviously uh you know before the pandemic hit you know, two years ago I was commuting to work most of the time. As a founder, actually, I made the conscious decision to have a complete remote-first company. So really, I just wake up and you know uh, have a little light breakfast, and then I on my computer and basically start working, and then it kind of go all the way to the night. Uh, Being a founder is a little bit different, but I don't do do everything like a like almost like a marathon like I do in the office. Mm -hmm. So it becomes more of you know bridging different things that I would need to do. So my day typically starts with, first of all, a call with my team who is based in Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Indonesia. And we go on to a video call and then we just basically update what kind of our roles is, what we'll be doing for the rest of the day. And then what's the deliverable by the end of the day. And then just kind of go through that momentum. And then the rest of the day is filled up with meetings, if there are any. If not, then I'll be looking at our social media. I'll be working with our partners. I'll be working with our brands to kind of um, look at the next steps, and then till the end of the day. So this kind of is continuous.
0: Mm. So it's quite interesting, right? Because yeah, your, your your startup right is actually um looks at quite an interesting area, which is podcast. And as we all know, podcasting is actually on the rise, right? Um, of course, in yeah. the US, it has actually been fairly popular, and then slowly, hopefully, we'll see the same in Asia. So um, as a Tech as, a, or rather, I would say, as a startup founder, do you consider your comp, your startup in the tech space or in the creative space? That's a great question. So I think I think. Essentially, at the core
1: is really the tech company because a lot of the solution, a lot of the problem we're trying to solve, are we solve it through tech. We don't solve it from a creative method. Um, but what happens is we work with creatives, content creators who are producing podcasts. So, so it, in itself, I think it's a bit of a business that's kind of like. I would say we're we're uh, an ecosystem for the podcasting. But then the the people that we work with it's kind of um, you know your content creator, very much like your business, where mm. you have set up a business around freelancers. Um, mm. But your product is not really just the freelancers itself.
0: So what do you think is the impact of the pandemic have on the content creators that you're working with closely right now? Yeah, great question. I think I think um, if you look back, I think
1: content creation has always been a part and parcel of everyone's life. Um, we actually did a poll recently, um, just from our podcasting group and uh, with the podcaster that we have. Um, they actually a lot of them don't really do podcasting for the sake of um, of you know actually achieving great great success like you know hoping to you know get millions of dollars from advertising but i think a lot of them did it for the sake of trying and a lot of them do it more so in the pandemic period where they're kind of just stuck at home they need a creative outlet and they actually need to find a tribe i think i think something like podcasting is a very tribal thing and they they have something to say they want to say something they want to just kind of grow network they want to learn about people and then they kind of go from there so i think the pandemic has forced a lot of people to be at home and therefore creating a new generation of content creator with something that they want to say that likelihood they might not have either the time or the or or the ability to do that you know when before a pandemic
0: Mm. I think a lot of the creative are still not uh, I I mean especially for Singapore are still not so familiar right with podcasting. So how can a creative actually in your point of view Mm. leverage on podcasting to help them to promote and market themselves?
1: Yeah, I think I think if you look at podcasting, um, like any other form of media, you know, podcasting has been around what since two thousand and four when the term was coined. I I think to really classify that, it's an old technology, it's an old medium, but it's seen a new wave. So this is kind of like maybe the second or third wave of new golden era. Um, but it's actually in line with technology. So if you look at from a podcasting perspective, it it's very much as a content creator, you're no different from a social media influencer. A social media influencer uses its medium, Facebook, you know, Instagram, to create uh, a tribe, a following. Uh, you, as a podcaster, you're using your voice, you're using audio uh, to create a tribe. So that's really essentially the difference. There's no difference from the fact that you know the, the elements of what your business is, is still continually exciting people, giving insights to them that they otherwise would not have, um, hopefully in the medium of audio.
0: So having spent, you know, um, many years in the corporate world and now you started your own startup as a founder. So how has your entrepreneurial journey been like in the last three years?
1: Oh, wow. Great question. Uh, A lot of ups and downs. Uh, so a lot of people liken the uh, entrepreneurship as a roller coaster, right? Yeah. And it's very much so. There are moments of time where I feel like, why am I doing this? It's so tough. Yeah. And there are always moments where you kind of, okay, I think I should just go back and look for a job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's because it's so hard. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you kind of want to do it, and then you kind of think back to the reason you did it in the beginning, because mm-hmm. um, you want to really build something of your own. And, and, and that, that, I think that spurs me on, but a lot of time it's a bit of a roller coaster. I'll explain it, you know, like you wake up the day thinking that you're, you're going great. Everything is going great. And then by mid afternoon, suddenly everything crashed Uh, or you have a really bad meeting where the investor is saying like, no, they don't want to invest in you because of so-and-so reason or you had a a really bad conversation that questions your are you building writing are you doing the right thing or and then by the end of the day suddenly you heard that oh you know you've you've been selected or you've you've done something or someone actually wanted to speak with you and then suddenly the excitement go back up again or are you the team built something fantastic which people are really responding to so it's a lot of that and it can you know so a lot of emotional i think uh an emotional roller coaster for an entrepreneur i think.
0: So why what made you start match cast in that sense? you know what gave you the idea, mm. you know and the motivation most importantly to do this? Yeah,
1: um, so I actually so I took a bit of a detour. Um, I left Singapore. And I went to Hong Kong to do uh, an accelerator program. And during that accelerator program, when I was in Hong Kong, I was exposed to a different world. Um, the accelerator did it in such a way that they wanted me to kind of use my domain expertise to build a business. So obviously, my domain expertise is marketing and then, you know, the use of different medium, um, you know, social media. But I didn't want to build another marketing tool. Prior to this, I think I was trying to build a marketing tool, an AI digital marketer, which was a highly technical, uh, was really really difficult. I needed a brand new set of, um, you know, landscape to look at, a new market, which I think has has the ability to really blow up, but then didn't have what the resources or a technology that could help it scale up uh, quickly. So when I was in Hong Kong, I was very much inspired by, obviously, you know, the podcasting world of Himalaya. Um, uh, But when when that happened, what I realized was China had a very different podcasting landscape as opposed to everywhere else. Mm. Um, Southeast Asia had zero podcasting landscape, you know, and remember that was what, 2019, beginning of 2019, I was doing that. And then, and then started looking at the landscape and saw, so, hey, you know, huge. Um Huge growth in terms of the, you know, the advertising dollars, in terms of what is happening with podcasting as content. But then um, everyone was having a lot of problem. So a, a recent friend of mine, a Liken, almost podcasting like the 2008 sort of digital gold rush, mm-hmm. where no one kind of owns anything and everything is possible. So I, I felt that hey, you know, I've stumbled onto this and, and Matchcast was really that. Um, it's a bit like a digital goal rush, where we're trying to do something where no one claims domain expertise or ownership in the space. And potentially, we, if we're able to do that, then the upsize is fantastic.
0: Mm. Right. So we understand that Matchcast is funded by Entrepreneur First. Yes, right. that's right. The, uh, yeah. It was the accelerator that was with. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. And, and Entrepreneur First, as we know, is a global talent investor and backed by some of the world's best investors, including the founders of like Lincoln, Mind, as well as PayPal. So how do you actually manage to raise funds, right, uh, and be backed, you know, by such a, uh, I would say, um, you know, uh, esteemed team of investors? And what is your process like? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, uh,
1: you know, understand that, you know, EF runs an accelerator program and then through the accelerator, the idea was to basically get more people to build startups. The reason behind that theory is that um, a business has the ability then to, you know, perhaps uh, influence the economy in ways that, uh, you know, as an individual, you might not be able to. Mm-hmm. So you'll be creating new jobs, you'll be creating a new flow of income, you'll be creating something new, um, which then sustained, uh, you know, perhaps a, a whole generation of uh, new employee, new wealth creation, which I think is in essence their, uh, their investment thesis. Um, and, but they were also, I think, very unique in that they, they look for people who could be matched together very well. Like I'm sort of a CEO, uh, but I have domain expertise in a specific field and then matching me up with a technical person. Uh, and I think throughout the journey, I think the uh, through the accelerator program, I think when you asked about why we got selected, I think one was they could see the potential in the business that we are in. Um, Two was, uh, you know, obviously having the background that I had as a marketer, you know, gave me credential to really go out there and build a marketing tool, a technology based business for a new industry that doesn't really quite have that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're placing a bet. And I think they're placing a bet on me as a person. And the idea as well.
0: So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who is looking for funding? How can they actually prepare themselves so that they will be able to have a successful pitch to investors? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: So no one does it perfectly. I think I'm still learning. The pitch is always changing. A few things. One is understanding what that investor uh, likes and likes to invest in. Um, so obviously, you know, if you're you know pitching to someone who has invested in the media landscape, or like in my case, I would be looking for investors like they have invested in media landscape. They're familiar with with what I'm doing, or they have invested perhaps in an auxiliary kind of a business startup that um, my business is working in, they would be naturally a better fit. Uh, ideally, you know, they would know more about the industry. But that said, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to do a few things. One, you have to research the investor that you're pitching to. Two, you really have to pitch your idea. Um, you have to actually uh, understand what your idea is and what that potential uplift. So, investors. Uh, most of them especially syndicate the biggest syndicate are looking for 100x return so they are looking for a multi-million dollar if not billion dollar idea that you or your team can actually build to get to so scalability is an, a, a you know a great uh, thing that they will look for and the ability to really become that type of business and then keep honing your pitch right today you could be working on you know iteration one uh six months down the road you'll be iteration three you know that that is important uh the ability to keep pivoting and then you know regoing back to each investor and talking to them i think it's important
0: covid-19 has also impacted many startups right as we can mm-hmm. see you yep. know from your airbnb to many many others as well so um is your startup also affected by this covid-19 situation yeah, we um yes
1: in a way. I wasn't as able to travel as much as I would like to. So I travel a lot. Um I would typically travel like almost every other month, partially because our team is remote and it allows me the ability to kind of go to different markets, understand the landscape a little bit, talk to our team, work with them for a while while I'm there in each country. Uh, I wasn't able to do that obviously with COVID nineteen. But we were very lucky. Um We knew from the get-go that we wanted to be a remote-first company, so we hired for remote-first. So everyone is kind of not confined to an office space. Um, They probably don't like it as much if I'm traveling and I'm in their country and working with them, you know, (laughs) Uh, because they they would then have to leave their home and commute to meet me. Uh, But the COVID-19, I think, has uh, its impact perhaps on companies that have more of a physical presence, unlike ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a very small team. So, um, you know, with that in mind, the COVID-19 has actually given us uh, more opportunities, I think, to hire a, a different kind, a different mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I used to joke that when I was telling people work from home, they couldn't understand. Now yeah. I tell people work from home, oh yeah, they, they immediately, I sometimes I don't even have to tell them. <laughs> they will see me walking around my house and they will say, oh you're working from home today you know so I think that's a like that mental yeah. shift yeah. since COVID-19 which I think for better or worse it's
0: it's it's educating us to a different way to work yeah that's that's the same thing we're seeing we're seeing the shift in the freelance world as well I mean prior to that I mean I still have clients who say that oh you know I need the freelancers to come in and work with my Absolutely. team they need to brainstorm you know they need to sit next to the creative director you know to do the design and all this but now it's like no no please ask the freelancers to stay at home no need to come <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. <laughs> right. So how do you plan to actually expand your business in this whole, you know, what we call the new normal situations? That's a great question. So um, I'll, I'll, my
1: business model really with Matchcast has, has has shifted quite a fair bit. Partially because of what we're doing, as you have earlier said, you know, US is a very vibrant uh, country where they see, you see podcasting really lifting off. Whereas in Southeast Asia, it hasn't really had that kind of same tribal Uh, effect. Um, So actually, in terms of, uh, I would say, market entry, U.S. is, I would say, ripe for picking for us. So obviously, some investment there. um, Earlier, I would say, beginning of the year, we were kind of focused on Southeast Asia because we're really the only one doing what we're doing here. Uh, but then we got approached by a lot of the U.S. podcaster, U.S. Um, you know, brands. So I think right now the shift has been a little bit different, like a f- bit of 50-50 with some focus in the U.S. and potentially growing our market there as well,
0: uh, our presence there as well. Right, right. Great. I mean, good news, actually. Yeah. yeah. So what advice or encouragement do you have for aspiring female entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, I mean, look... Um, Startup is hard, you know, uh, and I think uh, as women or men, I think it's equally hard. You know, you're an individual going out there. I think, you know, if you are early on in your career, probably you have nothing to lose. I think those are the best time. I actually wish I had started entrepreneurship a little bit earlier. Um, But then, you know, at that time, I think... You know, the, the, the economy, you know, obviously, internet was very, very different. I was actually one of the early pioneer of internet. So, I kind of knew that was very, very different um, from a landscape perspective. So... Um, you know, if you're early on in a career, I think, yeah, absolutely. You know, give it a go. You know, you learn the most uh, when you're actually starting your own company. Mm. I think for um, my best advice is, you, you know, it's either do it or don't do it. There's really no in between. Mm. Um, if you're doing it, go all out. Um, if you're looking to do it, you know, start with something that you're familiar with and start building up right skill sets that would eventually lead you to this. So, i think i did that i did that route um i actually try to sort of build up my nest egg uh i try to you know have enough of a skill sets where i can actually add a lot of value if i start my own company i think those were i would say sort of building phase of myself as an individual before building the company
0: mm, right yeah I, I i mean i think that's very well said. i mean as a f- so-called co-founder or founder myself for creative at I think one of the things that we also see um, I think nowadays is also the mindset shift right Um, I think back then during our time probably Mm. during our generation I think people were looking for stability in their job so so a lot of people you know they wouldn't think about even though I have a great idea but you know I wouldn't want to actually step outside my comfort zone but what I'm seeing in the younger generation is that you know a lot of them are very willing uh, are more a risk taker and probably that's also because they are more aware now because with social media, you know, with with um seeing, you know, more company being successful, you know, more young billionaires or millionaire in that <laughs> sense. Really. So I think that gives them a lot of motivation. But however, um having said that, right, um if they were too young then do, do you think that you know they they probably may not have built enough credential themselves and also enough connection, right? That, That's true. You know that, that they, they couldn't use it. Right to the full advantage, or they couldn't bring their idea to a full um, uh, to to full fruition in that sense because they just let that number of years. So I think it's a balancing act, which is, which they they probably will have to consider. You know which route to take.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. So sometimes you know you look at young entrepreneur. Um, you know, it's that they're kind of like a a, a clean piece of paper. They don't really know what is difficult. Mm. So, so if you're betting on a young entrepreneur, then you're, probably betting on their ability to solve problems, mm-hmm. even though they're a clean piece of paper and they're learning mm-hmm. everything as they go and they become better and better at it. They're open to guidance. They're open to, you know, to actually being guided. Um, and then if you're actually betting on a more seasoned uh, executive like myself, mm-hmm. you know, you, then you are looking for them to actually run the show and then really guide the business in ways that would then speed up the entire process of, you know, go to market of uh, or reaching a certain scale um that it needs to be so i think if you look at that i think um there's no right or wrong answer Mm. yeah you're absolutely right so if you're a young entrepreneur you don't have a lot of experience so the only thing that you can do is just work harder than anybody else Mm. um and you have the ability because you're less constrained by family Mm. uh or or resources around you you probably could you know you don't have as much the i would say commitment as an individual as you would if you have a family or you have Mm. children Uh, But then that said, you know, for a seasoned entrepreneur, um, the ability to understand shortcuts means, you know, less mistakes, less trial and error. The ability then quickly scale would then, you know, shorten that pace. Um, So, yeah, no right or wrong answer. I think both are equally, you know, um, I would say possible. It's just that,
0: you know, what is that ultimate route? Mm. going back to podcasting right so yep. we have been running our podcast for the past three years <laughs> under the brand. of freelance creative exchange thank you thank you right um but of course i think till now um there are still some challenges that we face right um namely uh, marketing as well as looking for potential advertisers so how can match cast solve some of this pain point for content creators like us
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the way I started Matchcast was really um, drawing my experience as a marketer and taking the lens of myself as a marketer uh, was looking at, okay, today, if I were to invest or rather run a marketing campaign on podcasting, what kind of effort would it take me, what it would look like, uh, what my experience is likely going to be. And that was kind of the pain point that I found. It was really, really difficult to advertise in podcasts, Part of the reason was because, as a brand marketer, and and you know, you are as a marketer in essence, you're looking at so many facets of marketing, mm-hmm. and brand marketing is perhaps one facet where podcasting could do really well. But the ability to go out and say, "Look, I need to find among the you know, and and we look at the data. So, at 1.4 million type podcast titles, 33 million, 34 million episodes out there, where can I find the right podcast that aligns with the brand? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I spend the money? Do I individually email each of these podcasters? Where are they? Mm-hmm. Who are they? So in order for me, take it from a lens of a marketer. If, today, if I were to invest or, or rather want to buy advertising, I will have to contact each individual podcaster. I will have to first find them that are relevant for my brand. And then I'll have to contact each and every one of them. Then I'll have to ask them for their rate card. And i have to figure out, okay, am I going to insert like a message to, uh, through an audio ad that I had previously created or actually get them to read something something in the show itself and then and then you know go through a negotiation process and then it's a lot of effort it's really really tedious and that in essence is actually what's hindering a lot of brands from actually advertising in podcasting mm-hmm. uh the setup just wasn't right and i think in in essence that's the problem statement for matchcast Um, We make it easy for brands to actually identify the right podcaster um, and and actually buy ads in them. Um, We actually think of it as very much like social media influencer. So we're building a social media influencer landscape, which helps brand identify based on keywords, uh, based on... Uh, structure of the description of the podcast itself to understand uh, in which country and which location, what language it is, to really understand what kind of, whether it is relevant for the brand and for the campaign. And then we actually help them distribute the campaign budget across different podcasts. So the challenge you would have, obviously, if you go to one advertiser is um, you will have to ask them invest in a significant amount of dollars to either sponsor your show or to have a spot being read within the show itself. And a lot of podcasts, a lot of brands doesn't want to do that because then they're only aligning with you. Mm. But what they want is basically take my money and then spread it across different podcasters. And there's very little network that does that except Mm. Matchcast. Um, So we're actually doing that. We take a whole campaign budget. We look for the brands would then say, okay, identify, say, podcasters that are talking about this topic in this country. Um, targeting these sort of uh, consumers that resonate with my audience, with my buyers. And then we actually go out and find them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we would then contact each podcaster, do the necessary to actually get the campaign going. So... In short, basically what then Matchcast is bridging is the ability to scale audio advertising and podcasting.
0: Right, right. So how many advertisers are currently on board on Matchcast already and what are they looking for when they want to advertise in a podcast?
1: Yep, great question. So we have a very broad spectrum of uh, brands, you know, anywhere from international brand, global, Asia Pacific brands. I won't name them. Part of the reason is because a lot of them are very, very new into podcasting as well, and we're guiding them through that process. They've actually bought ads with us. The difference is that a lot of them actually they they come through uh, two aspects of it. You know, um, what do they want to get out of it? Is audio is actually they know it's a medium that is highly addictive. Um, if you start listening, um, you would actually keep listening. Um, I, I I myself wasn't uh, you know like a huge podcast listener, but since like creating MatchCast, I'm, my intent to go out there and listen to as many podcasts yeah. as possible has led me to like tremendous amount of great podcast content. Um, they know that it's a medium that works, but two is a lot of them are actually brand marketers. So brand marketers, one of the challenges. Platforms like Facebook, Google, uh, Instagram, you know, medium that I'm used to and used to spend a lot of money on these channels are not great for top of the funnel marketing, which is basically in short marketing lingo is basically reach out to as many audience as possible that could be likelihood your potential customer and then get them to understand or hear about the brand. Mm. Um, It's very, very difficult. So traditional medium, obviously, like TV, radio, are still sort of mass media channels because of their ability to do that. I think podcasting has the ability to do that, and that's why it's exciting for a lot of brand marketers. So brands are typically interested to actually reach a wide audience of customers that they could find on podcasting. Second thing I think is tribal Um, So I mentioned that, you know, Mm -hmm. podcasting is a very tribal uh, medium, meaning that uh, if I'm particularly like into entrepreneurship, I'll be listening to a lot of entrepreneurship podcasts. I'm a freelancer. I'll be listening to your show, you know, to learn more about the freelancing trade and and tips and tricks. Uh, If I'm a marketer, I'll also be listening to marketing podcasts, very tribal um, sort of a medium. And brands like that because in a very tribal environment, then probably they can weave in and find identify customers that are within that tribe that both look like them. So if I'm a you know potentially a business that you know runs a software that's targeting freelancer, your podcast would be tremendous for me because I know for a fact that freelancers will be listening to your podcast. And then immediately, you know, these are the right kind of customers that I would want to have, and it matches the persona of my my pipeline, my sales pipeline, and therefore I want to be a part of your show. So that's where we see huge synergy, uh, and that's essentially what um, your podcast advertising really, really means. Mm
0: right right so since the start of the pandemic right we also saw like kind of like a podcast boom happening in singapore (laughs) right i mean a lot more content creators started to notice of the new platforms and then and also as you rightly mentioned in the beginning right um everybody's at home so everybody want to try to do something different right so why do you think more people are actually creating podcasts um you know uh, during this period right and what is your perspective on the local scene in Singapore?
1: Um, So I think maybe I'll just address the local scene a little bit. Um, I think definitely, you know, Singapore, like most Southeast Asian markets that is new to any sort of media is, is finding its way. You know, podcasting is still very, very new. Uh, when, I, when I mean new, I will liken it always to be behind a lot of markets, like the bigger markets like the U.S. Mm-hmm. and bigger markets like China. So obviously, you know, you don't see as many podcasters, uh, you know, in Asia, uh, in Singapore, making a, a living out of podcasting as opposed to in the U.S. and China, where there are more of such individual. Um, so I think there's still a long way to go um, for it to be truly being, you know, a, a medium of mass Uh, attraction here in Singapore. But within Southeast Asia, I see that trend going. Mm -hmm. I think the question is how long it will take about, is it going to take one year or two years? And with uh, the right kind of attention, um, will it scale a bit faster? So the way I see it is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, people are learning from either the US or learning from markets like China through Himalaya and they're actually finding their that you know this is something that they want to do and they could complement with you know their social media blogging Mm -hmm. uh, their content writing and podcasts become a natural extension Mm -hmm. of that part of their content creation yeah
0: yeah, actually, we we do see a lot, you know, of people, you know, starting to start their podcast. Even, you know, some of the company themselves, like media companies, you know, starting podcasting as well. But on the other side, we don't, we rarely see advertisers right uh, or rather we rarely see people saying oh you know I'm looking for podcasting um, um, partners to work with you know I'm going to put up a podcast ad. Um and, and of course this we are talking about Singapore um, scene la. so I think um, if if there are those that's looking at podcasting as avenue for advertise, uh, advertisement so many are actually looking more like a butter trade you know or giving away yep. of free products right so do you think this is a situation that is just because the industry is still nascent right uh, and a lot more educated needs to go out there in order for people to understand how it works uh, before we can reach, you know, the state like in the US? Or do you think, um, is it the issue with the content creators not being attractive enough for advertisers to to step out in this game? So so that's
1: a great question. So my question is, podcasting still straddle between hobby versus a professional production. Mm. And I say this is because, um, I was I was in media before, so I was with media Corp. It's very different if you're producing a blockbuster versus you are making a short film at home. You know, a blockbuster you would have the right mindset that I want to get sponsors in the beginning, mm. and who are likelihood gonna be the sponsors that would be you know attractive for this blockbuster. So MediaCorp will never produce or commission a show. Uh, without really actively going out and reaching out to sponsors before the production happens or while the production is going on, mm. uh, like providing scripts to the sponsors or even you know people who want to align themselves with the show, the theory or the message that's being brought up. And in cases, shows would be commissioned because uh, you know that's a certain message that the sponsor wants to talk about. Uh, that's important to them, and they would, and then therefore uh, commission an entire series of show. So you can see that just from a thinking process, the methodology is very, very different. You're producing something which you know is going to be a commercial hit, and your aim is to get as many people to attract to this uh, to this show as possible. Whereas if you're actually producing a podcast out of hobby? you're not really thinking of how many audience am I going to reach? Is the content going to be something that is, you know, mass market enough for people to want to listen to? Or is my content really something that will address to everybody? I think so. That's the difference, I think, uh, why the medium itself hasn't caught up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very similar in other medium that you could see in social media. Early on, you would create a Facebook thinking that, oh, you know, I can find sponsors to sponsor my Facebook. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You actually have to create a brand of what your Facebook is gonna be talking about before brands would come and align themselves with you. Similar in that, in that in that in that um, I would say trajectory of mm-hmm. what, what you want to do. Now, second thing is You know, why is it difficult? Uh, It's really because of that mentality. Second thing is, I think the ecosystem. As I mentioned, a lot of the brands don't want to just go out and say, I want to just sponsor one show. Mm. Like if I want to sponsor that show, then I will want to have a huge creative control over that show because the, the mass market audience is not listening. Unless it's like so mass market, like everyone is listening to that show then that makes sense. And then it doesn't matter. I can just, you know, maybe play an ad and I would have everyone hear that. So that difference makes a huge uh, matter for any brand. It's ROI, it's return on investment. So what, what happens at Matchcast is we accumulate the power of many, many podcasting. Uh, podcasters as well. So what happens is when a brand budget comes in, we break it down into small pieces, small bite-sized pieces, but enough to sustain each podcaster. And they get some kind of monetization through that. But then the brands realize that they're actually accumulating lots and lots of, you know, goodwill among the podcasting, you know, the listeners and they're getting traction. So basically, take for instance, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to really say is that a brand would want to split up the entire budget across multiple podcasts that attract all of their audience or spend it all in one show that attract every one potential audience that would be in that show. It's really no other two ways. It's just a method of marketing, and that's the best ROI. So so with the second part, which is the first part, which is so difficult, is there's really no platform to do that. Um, and that's what we're looking to build with
0: MatchCast. Right. Thank you so much for the sharing, Jimmy. I think that's really um, valuable to for. Podcasters, especially in Singapore, to actually really think about it before they even embark on a whole venture, unless they just intend to do it for themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have seen US podcast company, right, trying yes. to set up similar advertising model in Singapore as well, but um, of course, without much success, right. So what advantage do think match uh match have right um over them to actually uh make it into a successful venture um uh, in Singapore? also in the region?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. So this is typically my pitch to all investors. Um, I think where the U.S. companies are really bad at is they actually only speak one language. So they only do English. So a lot of the competitors, I would say somewhat addressing marketing in or advertising in podcasts only has international English language speaking podcaster. And English, uh, you know, podcast shows that attract U.S. uh, uh, listenership. Um, you, uh, we've actually done extensive competitor analysis uh, since 2019 and we followed up on a lot of them. None of them actually have the ability to go into Vietnam or markets like uh, Malaysia or China or even Hong Kong and Taiwan and say, OK, I know what the podcasting landscape in each one of those markets looks like. And then, you know, who are the podcasters in there? What are the people listening to? We've done that since 2019. Uh, We actually understand the market. We understand the region. Uh, We partner up with the networks around the region, uh, like in Vietnam with waves, you know, in Indonesia, in, in markets like China and Hong Kong, where it's growing. We kind of know who those top podcasting networks are, and where do you go to find the listeners? Uh, A lot of time, that's where I think the US tech companies have a disadvantage. They don't really understand the language and the nuances with each region, what the listeners are, what are they excited about, what are they listening? uh, What content is being produced on a regular basis in each one of those countries? Are they mainly in Bahasa, like for example, in Malaysia and Indonesia? Or are they predominantly uh, podcasts in English? Uh, or a mix of both, hybrid, where they speak both languages, right? So, so I think that's really the advantage of MatchCast, and where we have, I think, I think where we are primed to make a difference is perhaps being the first one in this industry. Really looking at country, looking at language very, very differently as we would um, in any market with marketing. Is that these nuances localization is really important mm-hmm. uh, for advertising. Um, so, so that's where we have that big difference. Will we be better and more successful than the U.S. company? I think we will be more successful at understanding the region than they are. Uh, but then again, it depends really on the market. Um, my excitement is that this market will grow and then
0: we are primed to reap that profit when this industry grows. Great thank you thank you so much Jamie I think it's really an insightful discussions. Um, and today you know we learn more about podcasting and great to know that there's players like Matchcast that is coming on board to actually help us you know to monetize right and uh, you know to, to, to kind of open up a new revenue streams for content creators thanks for having me first of all <laughs> right thank you so much audiences as well so thank you for joining us this week subscribe to our show Freelance Creative Exchange check out our Freelance Creative Exchange website, join our Creative Work's community on Facebook as well as Instagram. So have a wonderful week, till then stay safe and healthy. Bye everyone. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our Working Women series. Thank you so much for your subscribe, support and feedback over the past three years. 2020 has been a challenging year for most of us, especially for the self-employed and business owners. This is why we interviewed a variety of professionals from all walks of life to give a wider perspective on how it has impacted all of us and how we can pivot in this new norm. We hope you found some of the insights and advice shared valuable. If you need any help at all, please reach out to us. We wish you the best of health. Do take care and we'll see you back here in 2021.